Case number 23-5009, Animal Legal Defense Fund, Inc., at balance, versus Thomas J. Vilsack, Secretary, United States Department of Agriculture, et al. Mr. Waltz for the balance, Mr. White for the appellees. Good morning, counsel. Mr. Waltz, please proceed when you're ready. Good morning. I'm Danny Waltz on behalf of Animal Legal Defense Fund. ALDF brought this case on behalf of its members, including Marie Mastracco, an unwitting consumer who regularly bought misleading Purdue chicken products that the government failed to review. She has a genuine interest in continuing to buy raw chicken products for her elderly dog, and because of the government's failure to review label imagery, she cannot have confidence in any of the chicken product labels that she must buy. What about written claims? I thought that the challenge here was limited to graphic claims. No, it's not, Your Honor. The challenge is a pattern and practice claim based off of the agency's failure to approve or review and properly approve claims that Purdue Fresh Line claims, which confused Mastracco on both the textual grounds and the imagery grounds, as well as the agency's failure to review imagery altogether. Imagery meaning words? Imagery. So the PPIA doesn't really distinguish within labels. The label is to be reviewed holistically. That includes both the graphic imagery and the text itself. And so when I say imagery, I'm sorry, I mean the graphics on labels. That would be the chickens that are outside under the sun, as opposed to words like cage-free, both of which misled Mastracco when she purchased the Fresh Line products. But I thought the upshot of the complaint was that the problem that's seen is that there's not a review of the graphics. And because there's not a review of the graphics, there's no way to look at the pictures and get an accurate sense of whether the pictures are giving you the real world. And because the pictures aren't giving you the real world, with respect to labels other than the Purdue labels that are directly an issue, the second claim is about a general confusion and an inability to figure out what the real world is. And so essentially a decisional paralysis that doesn't allow her to make an informed assessment of which products to buy to make sure that the chickens are being raised in a way that is commensurate with her beliefs, because you can't tell from the pictures whether that's in fact the case. So isn't it about the injury comes from the lack of review of the pictures? So the claim is about the pictures. The injury, and yes, I agree with most of what you're saying, Your Honor. I think the injury and the claims are both cover or deal with both the sort of interplay of the text and the imagery. It's under the PPIA, Congress sought to define label broadly to include both the imagery and the text and sought to protect consumers from false and misleading claims that the government fails to entirely, fails to review properly. So when you're looking at the injury, I think you're looking at the holistically label and the imagery, black letter consumer law says that I think in the words of the Second Circuit, consumers aren't required to do this disputatious dissection of labels to figure out what aspects of labels are proper or maybe accurate, what aspects of the labels are inaccurate, 
and weigh those against each other um, to, to, to uh, avoid injury or to, uh, uh, yeah, avoid having that consumer harm. Um, and I think that's what the, the government on appeal is asking Ms. Straco to do. They're, they're asking for her to be able to uh, read certain aspects of the, to ignore uh, uh, the imagery on, on a label that um, uh, the, the producers are putting on there sort of like a siren song to, to attract consumers uh, to the label um, and uh, know that that may be misleading, but focus entirely on the text. It, it's, that's that's not what uh, consumer case law requires. It's also not manageable. Can I ask you this? So suppose, that, I know you'll resist that this is the real world, but just uh, assume for purposes of the hypothetical, this is the real world, that there's no other chicken product on the shelves that has a picture. It doesn't have a picture at all. It's got words. They, they have words, but they just don't have pictures. If there's no other product that has a picture and there's no allegation in the complaint that there is another product that has a picture, would she still state an injury? I think so, Your Honor. Um, no, you're saying no other because she does still have uh, access to the, the Purdue product. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Thanks for the thanks for the for the refinement. I'm talking about the injury that stems from the inability to suss out whether the non-Purdue products are um, involve chickens that are raised in a manner that she finds consistent with her beliefs. But I I I don't think that there needs to be. Um, an allegation of a, another product available to her aside from the Purdue products, because um, uh, you know, pursuant to Davidson, uh, she would just be like the Davidson plaintiff, uh, someone who uh, is interested in a product, wants to, otherwise wants to buy that product, was misled. Right, but I, I'm assuming that just for purposes of this, I'm assuming that the injury she's claiming is not that she might buy another, buy, again by Purdue, um, and so she could be misled again about the same label. Um, by which she's already been misled, but her claim is only about non-Purdue labels. And on that, if there's no other product that has a graphic that includes a picture at all, would she still be stating an injury as to that part of it? Not as to that I might buy another Purdue product and therefore I might be injured again because I'm misled by Purdue, that I might that I have an injury based on the non-Purdue labels, given that the government doesn't review the picture on the Purdue label in the way that they should have. Is she stating a claim as to the other non-Purdue labels if, in fact, there's no other non-Purdue label that has a picture at all? Um, well, it's hard to envision a world where there is no other <laughs> situ uh, situation where the, uh, she walks into a grocery store and there's no imagery on, on, on there. Um, I think she has a lack of, now that she knows that there's a lack of, the, the government is failing to uh, fully adequately review labels, um, in part because of the, its failure to review the imagery, but also because of her experience with the government allowing the Purdue labels to pass through uh, it, its review, including the terminology cage-free, um, uh, while that being, uh, I think, you know, we have in, in the complaint that one in three consumers is misled by, uh, uh, by that label. Uh, she doesn't have any confidence in... What was that? I did you just say that it wasn't really highlighted in the complaint that cage free was misleading? No, so uh, one in three, as we allege in the complaint, uh, we had a consumer uh, uh, expert do a survey and found that one in three consumers found the Purdue labels uh, to be misleading. Um, and that uh, was a comp, a comp because of 
as Mastraco alleged, just like Mastraco, a combination of the page-free textual terminology and the imagery. The interplay of those together caused... What rise on your argument that it's the interplay of the text and the imagery? I mean, put aside for a minute the government's third argument that consumers can avoid any misleading effect of imagery by just relying solely on the text. Assume we don't accept that argument. Why are you making this interplay? This is not what I understood from your brief to be your argument, this interplay argument. I thought the point was even without any claim about free range or free roam, that the imagery on the Purdue labels implied that the chickens were actually raised out of doors with sun and grass and freedom to move around, and that that was an implication that arose from the image. Is that not your position? That is the position. So I think what the government should do when reviewing labels is look at the labels holistically. That includes both text and imagery. But yes, the imagery of the chickens outside on the grass under the sun does give the strong inference that the chickens were raised outside when in fact they were not. That's an arbitrary and capricious claim we expect to succeed on should we be able to make that merits argument. But to go to this whole, back to the government's argument that Ms. Straka may rely on the text, I just sort of want to take a step back and sort of question what they're arguing, which is it seems to be putting a significant burden on the consumer to have to figure out what potholes to avoid, not paying attention, don't pay attention to the text, excuse me, to the imagery, don't pay attention to certain text that's already confused you. And then the consumer must need to read the federal register to fully understand what all the textual claims may be so that she may not be avoided. The Culture Products Inspection Act doesn't put that burden on the consumer, it actually puts it on the government. So does your claim depend on us accepting the approach of Davidson? No, Your Honor, I think that there are the TransUnion, for example, identifies economic injury as a tangible concrete interest. She has had economic, Ms. Straka has had economic injury. What is the alleged economic injury? She said that she sought to purchase a product that aligned with her values, that she perceived aligned with her values and was misled and didn't get the benefit of her bargain. You described that as ethical, it doesn't seem as, so what about, I mean, it seems to me one way to have standing in a case like this for future injury is, and I'm thinking a little bit about the facts of like the Johnson & Johnson case, and although the majority rejects this analysis, but if a competitor of 
Purdue, let's say a competitor that does actually have free roam or free range chickens and uses a similar imagery on their package to produce fresh line imagery and they charge a similar price. But looking at the two side by side in the grocery store, uh, consumers or maybe, you know, Purdue charges slightly less. So the the consumers see that as a commensurate pro- product and they buy produce fresh line product over the one that's much more expensive to produce and actually a different kind of product. Um, so in that situation, it seems that the competitor would have standing because the price of produced product is artificially inflated. I don't take you to be alleging that that harm is present in this case, although I'm unclear why you aren't alleging that. For example, even though, I mean, we have this catch-22 situation where as soon as a potential plaintiff is aware that something's misleading, she's no longer misled, and therefore how can she claim she would rely on that in the future? But it seems like this competitor standing type analysis could be applicable in a non-competitor case like this. If the plaintiff says, I'm aware now, but the rest of the world isn't, and I have to buy something. And even if I'm going to, you know, tolerate the inferior product and buy Purdue, I'm paying too much for what it is. I don't see that alleged in your. Yeah, I think we do argue that with um, uh, the line of lost opportunity cases, the, I think Orangeburg cases, um, which is uh, you know, she, she the, the hypothetical you just presented of the, the competitor out there who uh, is actually um, adhering to the practices that uh, that are that are on the label, um, unlike the humane washing company. <laughs> um, she doesn't, Mistraco doesn't know uh, that that alternative product is necessarily accurate, um, but it may be, as you just said, uh, and she has injury not only from being <laughs> the choice is either in this situation purchase a product that uh, she may uh, uh, she believe that she believes uh, has meets with her preferences but but doesn't and so she doesn't get the benefit of her bargain or she foregoes alternative she foregoes uh, a product that she does want to buy um, and because of the government's failed regulation she doesn't have She's the lost opportunity to access uh, products that she prefers. But even without an alternative product, the same economics would obtain. If Purdue is differentiating its fresh line from some other ordinary and charging more, but really all that's improved about the fresh line is that it's got a prettier label that actually is misleading enough to make people pay a premium, you don't need a competitor in the market to make that claim. But I don't take you to be making that claim here. That when you say she believes it, like she now knows that produce product doesn't perform as she wants. And whatever ethical injury that may cause her, it doesn't seem to me to be tied to misrepresentation. I, and so it so it, it doesn't seem like a harm that's necessarily caused or redressable. Well, I see I see that as a as a consumer confusion injury as opposed to some sort of ethical injury. So the the. It's, it's she's no longer confused on count one. She's no longer confused vis-a-vis Purdue. Right. As, as to Purdue, she's not. But she is to the other products that are out there in the market. And in fact, actually, I, I would disagree. I'm not sure she's entire, she is no longer confused to Purdue. 
What she knows is that, just as in Davidson, she knows that she doesn't know. She knows that this product is the result of certain practices. But Purdue's, I think we have in the complaint that the Purdue's website says that it is moving towards chickens with raised and outdoor conditions. In fact, 25% of the chickens in its pipeline are raised outdoors. And so there may be a point in time when the label is accurate, or at least is accurate in a way that is consistent with what she prefers. But she will never know whether she can rely on it, and we'll have that ongoing consumer. Let's just focus on the time aspect of this, and this building on what some of the back and forth with Judge Pillard. This is a frustrated consumer. She bought the product in the past. She alleges that she was misled, and that would clearly give her standing to seek some kind of backward-looking traditional consumer protection action. This case is all about forward-looking. So you've said this a couple of times, but walk me through exactly what is her future injury that would be redressed by an order taking this label off the product. She knows everything she needs to know. She knows that the product doesn't conform to how she would like animals to be treated, and she knows the government doesn't review the cartoon. So it's as if the cartoon just doesn't mean anything. She knows all that. How is she better off if the cartoon comes off the label? She's better off. So first, a couple of things. She unfortunately cannot seek backward-looking thanks to the preemption provision. But you need a separate theory of standing for forward-looking. That's right. And the way in which her injury would be redressed by a court order that the government review labels is that if the government starts reviewing imagery on labels, and it does so through its pre-market approval process, products that are misleading or all of a sudden imagery that's misleading gets weeded out, doesn't make it through the government's pre-approval process. And those that are not misleading or that are accurate, where the application submitted includes evidence showing that the chickens are raised outdoors, those will make it through. And so she loses this consumer confusion, this lack of confidence that Judge Pillard and I were just discussing, because everything that's out there, she should have confidence. It comes from chickens who are raised outdoors. How is that harm concrete? 
Can you describe how it would change her value proposition or her purchasing behavior? You would allege that she will continue in the existing market to buy chicken breasts. Yeah, yes. Uh, right. So um, she's, uh, we, we allege that, she, uh, so unlike some of the um, uh, other cases, the government sites or even uh, that support our position, I think that um, her, her compulsion to buy chicken breasts for her dog is much stronger than what we see in other circumstances with other consumers. Right. So there's a certain in certain ways, but it's unhelpful in another way, which is what what is the concrete benefit to her other than dispelling confusion? Can you make that more concrete in terms of a different purchasing decision or some value. She, well, she has more certainty that the purchase that she, the purchasing decision that she makes is going to be accurate. Um, and that will, that's, um, she will um, not risk. So it's a, so it's almost like an increased probability of, of certainty. Uh, the, the circumstances she's in now, as we were discussing, is that she will either buy a product that she has, that she uh, that is it, that she that comes from practices she abhors um, without knowing it, or or with knowing it, if she feels like she has to only buy the Purdue product, or she's uh, buying a product, um, or she's foregoing a product. She has the risk of foregoing a product that she uh, that she may value. Um, that that there's this risk that that will will happen. It, I mean, she may get lucky and buy a product that is accurate, um, but that's. Uh, she still has uh, ongoing consumer confusion there. So um, the, the the court a court order that would force a government to review labels would increase the probability that she's making accurate. Judicial review here is just through the APA, right? Yes. DPIA cause of action is for others, right? So you need a discrete agency action that's either final or unlawfully withheld. How do you get the right to, you, you said a pattern and practice claim that would globally require the agency to review labels. How do you get that through the APA? Um, we think the most you could get is something specific to Purdue. Uh, we have um, in the in the record, we have after submitting the um, uh, ALDF had submitted a request. I'm sorry, who? Uh, ALDF had okay. submitted a request with the agency to um, uh, to deny per, Purdue labels. Um, uh, sort of the, its pattern, its pattern of constant That's approval of Purdue labels. And and the agency's response was that uh, it does not review imagery at all labels. Um, and so, uh, you know, as part of that, uh, that, that was uh, central, I think, to, to the agency's decision to continue approving Purdue labels. And so what we'd expect from a court order would be that that, that practice is, is an order that, the, that that practice of ignoring or not paying attention to imagery is unlawful. And the, the agency action or inaction, specific action. The approvals of the labels. 
Without looking at the graphics? Yes, without, yes, exactly. So just to make sure that I'm not confused about your consumer confusion um, rationale, because as I understood it, your response to the questions about what's the forward-looking injury is not about the forward-looking injury vis-a-vis -vis the Purdue label. I mean, you may have a Davidson kind of argument about that, but let's just put that to one side. Your focus is, no, there's confusion because the lack of review of the graphics of the labels means that she can't look at the other labels and be sure that their images are accurately portraying the way in which the chickens are are not allowed to be outside. Yes. And as to that, in order to have that injury, I'm just going back to where I was at the beginning, we have to assume that there's other labels that in fact depict chickens being outside. Because if there are none of those, then there's no, the, the remedy can't help her because if there are no other images like that, then she's not confused by anything that's out there in a way that's gonna be addressed by what you're asking the agency to, to be required to do. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, setting aside the Purdue. Right, but... putting aside the Purdue for the consumer confusion one, which is looking beyond Purdue to other labels, there has to be other labels that in fact contain a graphic that depicts chickens being outside. And if there were, then I take your point that if then at that point, if she thinks that the agency is falling asleep at the switch and they ought to be reviewing those and aren't, then she could look at the labels and think, I'm confused. I don't know whether to trust the, the image on this. It may or may not be accurate. I really care about whether it's accurate because I really care about only buying chickens that are allowed to roam outside. But I, I can't look at this picture and know whether it's in fact accurate. But if there are no other such pictures, then there's then there's no injury. I, yes, Your Honor, I, I think that that's right. Um, uh, you know, I, I think we've uh, we allege uh, at paragraph 34 that she's going to suffer a lack of confidence in whether there are any chicken labels that accurate descriptions of the product's animal raising conditions. Um, so we think that that is, is broad enough to encompass those other those other labels that are out there on the market. But it doesn't um, say that there are such labels. Uh, no, Your Honor, but I think any stroll down a supermarket aisle will will, will make clear that there are. Um, also, it's a it's a bit confusing um, just to even know, you know, to to try to define what that type of label is. I'm thinking of chicken labels where the name itself also is of a chicken or is of um, there's a you know there are labels out there that will say like naked chicken and it will be done in imagery that is of leaves. And so is that is that an image or is that a t is that is that text or is it both? It's really hard to disentangle the two. I think that's part of the reason why why Congress defined label to include both text and and imagery. Um, uh, you know, that said, if if if, it, if that's a needed allegation, that's something that uh, we absolutely could add in. Um, uh, I don't have uh, any concern. All right. Um, why don't we give the government a chance and we'll give you a little bit of time for rebuttal. Thanks. Thank you very much. Dwight. Thank you, Your Honor. And may it please the court. Graham White for the government. The district court correctly held that plaintiff lacks associational standing because the complaint does not allege that any of plaintiff's members are likely to suffer a substantial risk of future injury. Let me just say at the outset in response to some of the questions that were just raised as a point of clarification, this case is about imagery. It's not about the written text. Uh, the complaint is not alleging that the government fails to, to regulate written text here. It's alleging that the government is not reviewing imagery. And while we very much dispute that that's the case, the complaint is alleging is that Mastraco lacks confidence in animal raising imagery. 
And the reason these allegations are insufficient is because the complaint does not allege that Mistraco is certain or even likely to encounter this kind of imagery going forward. The complaint does not allege that she has any desire to purchase this particular product again. It doesn't allege that there are other kinds of products out there that have animal raising imagery, much less that there are enough of these products on the market that the risk of encountering them and having some kind of confusion is substantial. So about that, you've heard a couple of exchanges about whether there are such other products. And I think I understand your argument that regardless of whether there are or aren't, there's nothing in the complaint that suggests that there are. And if there's nothing in the complaint that suggests that there are, then when you look at the four corners of the complaint, that kind of consumer confusion injury isn't made out. But what's wrong with the response that, well, that allegation would be easy to make. There, in fact, are such products. All we would need is just an opportunity to amend the complaint to add one allegation that makes that out. And it's actually true that that exists in the marketplace. Sure. So a couple of responses. First, I mean, we're not disputing that it's possible that there are these products, that there are other products out there. The standard to get injunctive relief here is that the harm is certainly impending. So there have to be enough of these products out there that there's actually a substantial risk. But in terms of what we can add to the complaint or what they can add to the complaint and what they can't, I mean, the district court here dismissed the allegations without prejudice. So they're free to file this claim again if they want to. I mean, I will say that they've already amended their complaint once. But whether they are given leave to amend again or whether they file a new lawsuit with these allegations, it makes no difference to us. So if it doesn't make any difference to you, then you wouldn't have a problem with them being given leave to amend because they could just as easily file a new complaint. As you point out, it was without prejudice. Right. It wouldn't make a difference. From your perspective, it doesn't matter. It would not. Let me just point out another couple, a few issues here with the allegations in this complaint. One other problem here is that the complaint doesn't allege what kind of imagery Mistraco would find confusing on other product labels going forward. I mean, in this particular case, the complaint alleges that Mistraco was confused by imagery of chickens on a farm in conjunction with some written text saying cage free. But it doesn't allege that she would have found she would have misinterpreted the label in the absence of that written text. And so going forward, whether she's going to potentially misinterpret a label is going to depend a lot on what the label looks like. It will depend on what the images looks like. It will depend on a number of contextual clues on the label itself. So I think that just goes to show that the image here, the injury here that's being alleged is pretty speculative here because we're talking about hypothetical products that we don't know exist. And let me also just add that even if Mistraco was likely to encounter a product that has animal raising imagery on it, a consumer's lack of confidence in the imagery itself is not by itself a concrete injury. That's not what the Ninth Circuit said in Davidson. What the Ninth Circuit said in Davidson is that a lack of confidence in a label can lead to an injury under certain circumstances. If, for example, a consumer refrains from buying a desired product because they can't trust the representation or if the consumer buys a product in reliance on a representation that turns out to be false, in which case they're duped. But if a consumer lacks confidence in a label, buys the product, and it conforms to their expectations, they haven't suffered a concrete injury. So I think that's another potential flaw here in the standing analysis, the standing argument that plaintiffs are raising here. But you say that if it can lead to concrete injury because the consumer might refrain from purchasing. With respect to count one, she's alleged or they've alleged that the member has refrained from buying the Purdue product. And they claim that that's enough harm. What's your position on why that's not enough harm? 
Well, so I don't think that the complaint alleges, in terms of her behavior going forward, that doesn't say anything about Purdue. I mean, I think you can infer that she... That she has to buy chicken, even if it's not perfect by her own standards. And it may be that sometimes Purdue, for other reasons, is going to be the preferable choice, but she's still subjected to this. I mean, what about the notion that she's also probably paying a premium for that product? Unwarranted premium for that product. It's made to look like a more animal-friendly product than it is. Well, I think, I mean, the complaint doesn't contain any allegations about what she's paying for these products or if she's paying premium or anything like that. But I would say, in terms of whether she's going to refrain from buying food in the future, I mean, part of what makes this case different from Davidson and some of the other cases that the plaintiff relies on is that the plaintiff here isn't alleging any desire to buy a particular product. She doesn't care if she buys Purdue or not. She just alleges that she wants chicken breast products for her dog. So whether she is ultimately deprived of the opportunity to buy Purdue again doesn't really seem like a concrete injury in the same way that it was in Davidson, because whether she buys Purdue or something else, I think, doesn't make a particular difference to her. It didn't to the plaintiffs in Davidson either, did it? I'm sorry? It didn't matter to the plaintiffs in Davidson either. They were also looking for a type of product, a flushable. Right. And they were unable to find it. I think the plaintiff in Davidson alleged that they wanted to buy the particular defendant's product, and because it was flushable, that they would buy the product again if given the opportunity, and that they were frequently, that the consumer plaintiff was frequently in a position where she would be confronted with that product again. So to here, she's going to the supermarket looking for a product that she feels compelled to buy, even if it's non-ideal. And here, in a way, it's stronger than Davidson. One of the weak points of Davidson is why should she think that suddenly this, why should the consumer in that case think that the product, the company had made the product conforming, whereas here, as Mr. Walz has pointed out, Purdue has made assertions that are in the complaint that they are trying to conform more to the implicit message of the graphic. So why isn't the same harm here, that even though, on the one hand, she's been disabused of, she knows that the claim was misleading, at least at one point, why isn't it fair for her to think, well, it might no longer? So I think a couple of responses. First, I think I would take issue with the premise that this case is as strong as Davidson. There are a couple of critical allegations in Davidson that were essential to the Ninth Circuit's holding that were not made here. Number one, as I mentioned at the outset, the plaintiff does not allege that she wants to buy Purdue products again. Number two, unlike in Davidson, the plaintiff is not alleging here that she'll encounter this kind of product when she goes to the grocery store, or that there's any, the complaint implies no factual basis to think that she would encounter this product or any other products that have the potential to confuse her. And unlike in Davidson, she does have a way of determining whether the product conforms to her consumer preferences. She can read the written text on the label. That is a tough argument. I mean, the FSIS is statutorily required to review the graphics as well as other things. And we have this case, Spann v. Colonial Village, that has to do with depictions in real estate ads, and they're depictions of only white people at a complex. And so the potential purchaser is deterred. And you can't say, well, just avoid those products. I mean, that can't be right to say that she should just avoid 
a product that has an unreviewed misleading label and only go with things with the tags. So that's not exactly what we're saying here. I think what the complaint is alleging is that there are new products that do conform to Mistraco's consumer preferences because they are labeled organic or free range. That means that the chickens were raised outdoors as Mistraco wants. So if she doesn't have to avoid a product, if she wants to buy the Purdue chicken product, she can just buy the ones that say organic or free range or SI. But I would also just note that this is not this particular sub-argument. The court doesn't really need to go there. I mean, it's enough that the allegations here are too speculative and that the asserted injury is not concrete because she's not alleging any sort of downstream consequences that flow from her purported lack of confidence. I'm not sure I understand what's speculative about it. Put aside the text response for now. She could just look at the text. But you said even independent of that argument is still speculative. If there's an allegation in there, suppose the complaint is meant to add an allegation that says there's a multitude of chicken products out there at the grocery store that show chickens in graphics that look like they're outside. So they make me think that they're being raised in the way that I think is appropriate. And so I'm tempted to buy them. But the government just isn't policing those graphics to know whether that's accurate or not. So I just have decisional paralysis. Yes, I'm going to buy something because my dog needs chickens. But I'm buying them without knowing whether it's actually true that what the graphic tells me about the way they're being raised is in fact the case. And if the government did its job, then I wouldn't face that tension and uncertainty and anxiety that I now face. What's wrong? Why isn't that perfectly okay as an injury? So I see that I'm out of time. So it's still speculative because, as I noted at the outset, Mistraco is not, the ALDF is not alleging what kind of imagery she would find confusing in the first place. It's not even clear from the complaint that she would have misinterpreted the animal raising imagery in the absence of the written text cage-free. So whether there are other products out there that have chickens on a farm, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to be confused about the product. I mean, it could be imagery that's very realistic. It could be that's not. I mean, it's possible that she would encounter a product that confuses her, but not likely based on the allegations in the complaint. What if we disagree and we're willing to read the complaint a little bit more liberally than your suggestion? And the cage-free is an aspect, but really she's seeing this picture and the simple inference that she draws is these chickens are raised outside. And indeed, it may be that she's looking for something more than free range because maybe free range is sort of, you know, a very limited amount of roaming, whereas this picture shows, you know, old school chickens running around freely. It may be that one of the, I mean, as I read her complaint, one of the points that she's making is that a graphic can make claims that don't fit in to one of the standardized and scrutinized claims like organic or free range. There's suggestions that she's saying free range is free roam is something broader than free range. And it's not a defined term textually, but it's a projection from this image. And to that extent, it seems like, first of all, it underscores the importance of potentially reviewing the graphic. And second of all, it's in tension with the notion that she can satisfy herself by limiting her review to the text. Yeah, so a couple of responses. First, I mean, I don't want to get out in front of my skis on this, but I mean, we dispute that the government does not review the graphics. 
But that aside, we dispute. We dispute that the government does not review the graphics as alleged. Oh, you do dispute yes. that. Oh, I mean, the, the, the inspection services regulations require it. I mean, we haven't gotten to that aspect of the litigation. We're just in the pleading. So I'm assuming for the sake of this appeal that the allegations of the complaint are correct. But um, getting to your question, even if we were to construe the complaint liberally, as you're saying, and even if we add the allegations or to amend the complaint and add some of the allegations that Judge Renovason was, was suggesting, it still would not be enough because the, the plaintiff is not alleging any um, concrete injury. She's not alleging that she's going to refrain from buying a product because um, it, she doesn't know whether it was raised outdoors or not. That's not what the complaint says. It just says that going forward, she feels compelled to buy chicken breast products for her dog. It sounds like she'll buy the products no matter what. I mean, nothing in the complaint gives rise, supports the inference that this is affecting her decision-making process in any way. But I, that, that doesn't seem quite fair because she's going to be influenced in which product to choose. Something that tends to show sunlight and valleys with chickens out of doors versus something that's just text and looks quite generic. And and she can assume the grimmest of of circumstances that, you know, she's she's making choices in a in a market with lots of different options. And she's saying these this imagery is is misleading. It's and and the fact that it's not being scrutinized for for that, at least as she's alleging. I mean, I, I think I mean we I think we are at, at the point where we're potentially adding some things into the complaint that that aren't there and maybe construing it a little bit beyond what the, the plaintiffs are saying here. Um, at the end of the day, the complaint really supplies no factual basis to think that she's going to encounter any product like this Purdue product that has animal raising imagery. There's just no factual right. Basis. So so if we but if we assume that that allegation were added, I'm still not quite getting it. So suppose that we're only talking about graphics and we're only talking about confusion from graphics. And her point is, and just imagine this complaint exists, and we can talk about whether this, in fact, is commensurate with what's in the complaint, but let's just imagine the complaint that does, that does say this. I want to be sure when I buy a product that the chickens were allowed to go outside. And the way I make sure of that is I look at the graphics. And the graphics indicate that the chickens were allowed to go outside, and therefore I'm feeling good about it. If I don't have any certainty that the graphics are accurate, then I'm not certain about whether they, in fact, are allowed to go outside, that causes me some angst because I don't know that the chickens were raised in a way that I think is okay. If the government did a job, I would be sure of that. That's my injury. I'm either unsure or I'm sure. And I'd, I'd rather be sure than unsure because I really care about this. It really matters to me. Is that that's not a cognizable? That is not a concrete injury under Article 3. And I don't think that Davidson or any of the cases that the plaintiff relies on says that that is a concrete injury in and of itself. I think it would be different if the plaintiff is alleging that she really wanted to buy Purdue or another particular product and she is refraining from doing so, or if she ends up buying a hypothetical product in reliance on the imagery or lacks confidence and it turns out not to conform to her expectations. That's another possibility of a concrete injury. But the angst that you're referring to by itself, that's just not a concrete injury. And the plaintiffs have, have not identified any case that says that it would. Why not? It seems like it's sort of in between the traditional injury of a defrauded plaintiff. If, if you got certain information, you would be misled. And let me just put something on the table. It's sort of in between that and the informational injury sort of situation where the plaintiff says, I want more information. So like I to get the misleading information or I want some truthful information. And this is a little bit of both. 
So I think a couple of responses, Judge Cass. First, I mean, the Supreme Court has said in transunion that an informational injury unaccompanied by adverse effects is not enough for Article III. And in terms of, you know, traditionally what kind of injuries consumers have misled, who are allegedly misled, very often it's the case courts have held that consumers can have standing when they will rely on a misrepresentation on a label to their detriment, purchase the item and get duped. So there is some kind of like concrete injury that's actually happening here. Again, I don't think, and I haven't seen a case that is really suggesting that just the angst that Ms. Jocko allegedly feels would be sufficient by itself. In the real world, it just seems like she is worse off because injury means are you worse off? And you are worse off if you buy a product, if you're compelled to buy a product because your dog needs to be fed. You are worse off if you don't know whether the product is commensurate with your values than if you do know that it is. But if the product actually is commensurate with her values, then she's not worse off. In other words, like if she ends up buying a competitor's product, lacking confidence in whether the chickens were raised outdoors, and the chickens were raised outdoors, I don't think you can say that she's really worse off in any meaningful sense. And again, I think that's why it sort of invites some speculation as to her asserted injury in connection with other products that we don't know whether they exist and whether they accurately reflect the chickens raising conditions. But she doesn't know whether the product, I mean, yeah, I think if you assume that the product was accurate, the label was accurate, the image was accurate, then it may turn out that her fears are not well-founded. But the point is she doesn't know. The point is she doesn't know, but as long as there's no sort of concrete effect associated with her. So back to TransUnion for a second. If you don't have a statutory right to specific information, informational injury is not concrete, absent a downstream effect. But here, this isn't the classic non-standing situation where the plaintiff wants information because he or she is upset with how the executive branch is running itself. She wants information to inform a purchasing decision. And why isn't that the downstream? Well, because there's no allegation that she won't, there's not a plausible allegation that she won't get the information going forward, I think. Well, the allegation is, and you've said that, in fact, this isn't the government's position, but in the letter that is referenced in the complaint, she understands the government to have to take the position that they don't review imagery on labels for the claims that they may implicitly convey. And if that's true, then she does have a reasonable basis for thinking that she can't rely on imagery. But it doesn't plausibly allege that she'll be in a situation where she can't rely on the imagery because we don't have any basis from the complaint to think that she's going to, that the complaint is sort of assuming that when Ms. Mishraga goes to their grocery store, that she's going to be surrounded by a lot of chicken products with cartoons of chickens on farms, and that she won't have any basis for distinguishing between them. But there's no basis in the complaint for getting there. So it's the lack of allegations of imagery on competitor products labels. Among other things, that shows that there is no substantial risk of her actually having this problem when she goes to the grocery store. I mean, it's very possible that she could go to the grocery store and there are no chicken products that have animal raising imagery on them. So it's helpful to bring it down that one level of concreteness and say that it's the lack of allegations that there are other labels with pictures on them. 
What about the economic argument that that I did not see raised in the I guess I have I have two sort of related questions. And really, the broader question is, you know, a lot of the cases say what, what you also argue, which is, you know, and once she's the scales have fallen from her eyes and she knows that, you know, bracketing, whether it's actually misleading, but she knows that the that the label is in her understanding misleading, then she lacks standing going forward, at least with respect to that product, because she's no longer misled. There's something very odd about a standing doctrine that deprives people who are subjected to deception from challenging the reason that that deception might be ongoing. And I guess my my broad question is, what's your response to that? And my narrower question is, do you have a response to the to the economic injury uh, questions that I was posing to Mr. Waltz. Why why can't we assume as a matter of basic economic logic that to the extent that these Purdue Fresh labels convey an impression that these chickens are raised outside, people are paying an unearned premium for this product, including potentially this plaintiff going forward, because she may know that it's misleading, but others don't. I think it's hard it's a to... a lot of questions, I know. Yeah, I mean, let me sort of start with, um, I think the, the first question you asked in terms of, we very much disagree with the the premise of the argument that my friend on the other side is making, that if Ms. Mishrako does not have standing, then no consumer would have standing. We are not saying that there are no set of facts under which um, a consumer could potentially uh, have standing to seek injunctive relief here. What we're saying is that even under the cases the plaintiff cites, the allegations here are just woefully short. And what would be the kind of, I mean, partly just thinking about the, whether this makes any sense, what would be the kind of situation in which there could be, I mean, let's say for purposes of argument that the government isn't reviewing any graphic imagery and somebody wants to bring a case to trigger a ruling on whether they need to, how would that be teed up? Well, I think um, even... The allegations in Davidson could provide at least a benchmark for what you could what could conceivably get you over the line. But even in that case, the Ninth Circuit held that it was a very close question. And um, so allegations of that are similar to Davidson maybe could. If, if you the plaintiff is alleging facts to show that she is likely to encounter the product again, um, and that she has no way of knowing whether the product conforms to her expectations or not, and that she would suffer some kind of concrete injury from either not buying the product as she wants to or buying it and it turns out to be false. I think those are allegations that maybe could get you there. Um, but again, the complaint here doesn't even get close to that. So I think you know it would be enough for to affirm just for this court to say, even if Davidson were to apply, the allegations don't come close to there. And there's no need to issue any kind of broad ruling that would categorically uh, shut the door on, on consumers. That's not what we're asking for. I think it's just the allegations of this complaint just do not come up to the, the level of Davidson or any of the cases. Can I get back to this question about the kind of the consumer confusion rationale that let's suppose that there's a complaint that adds the allegations that we were just talking about that you say are missing, which is that there are, in fact, other products out there that contain graphics that indicate the chickens are outside. And the lack, the ostensible lack of review of those graphics gives me pause because I, I can't look at these various labels and make an informed decision. And you're saying that that's missing. But if we say that that's there or that they were allowed to amend the complaint to put that there, then you're saying that still wouldn't be enough because that kind of injury isn't an Article Three injury. So if that's true, then there's a lot of people who care about labels on food 
to make sure that the way the food is prepared is consistent with their faith. And so if somebody says, um, I need to eat, so I'm going to buy food. But so you could just take it as a given that I'm not going to starve myself. I'm going to actually buy food at the grocery store. I'm looking for the particular label on there that has um, the K with a circle around it. And I want to make sure that it's consistent with my faith. The government is supposed to review that. The government's just not. And so I'm going to buy the products and I'm, I've got a lot of anxiety because I don't know that the products, in fact, are prepared in a way that's consistent with my faith. If the government did its job, I would know that. Um, you're saying that that's not an Article 3 injury. So I think of the hypothetical consumer, if the, if the consumer in your hypothetical uh, wants to buy a product that is making certain representations about whether it conforms to their religious preferences or not. Right. And they say, I really want to buy this product. I'm just not going to do it because I can't trust it. That no, they're be... not saying I'm not going to do it. Or, what they're, or... saying, they're, they're saying, I'm going to buy products and they all contain, I'm only going to buy products that contain this label, but I, I can't be sure that the label, in fact, is true because somebody could just slap the label on there and, in fact, it's prepared in a non-adherent um, way. And if they buy the product and it turns out that the label is false, that is potentially an injury under, under Davidson. If they buy the product right. and it turns out that the product does conform to their religious preferences. And they haven't... I take the point, I, I totally accept the point that you'd have a more sure, more consistent, more traditional concrete injury if you, in fact, bought a product and it turned out to be misleading, as she did with the Purdue product. And then there's the question of whether that's the basis of a forward-looking claim. What I'm saying is, let's, let's just say that that allegation is not there because she just doesn't know if it's the consumer just doesn't know if it's in fact consistent with the label, but their faith requires them to only eat products, eat food that's prepared in a certain in a certain way. And so the injury that she's claiming is it's the lack of knowledge about that that's giving me anxiety. I don't know whether the food is prepared in a way that's consistent with my religious beliefs. If the government did the job, I would. And I'm going to keep buying food products because I need to feed myself but I'd like to do it in a way that gives me certainty that in fact, it's being prepared in a way that's consistent with my faith. I have not seen um, a case that the other side has cited that would suggest that that amount of angst and uncertainty by itself would be an injury. But at the end of the day, I don't think this court needs to get there for a number of reasons because we are making a lot of assumptions about what allegations are here and what's not. Um, that would, I would concede that would be a, a, a trickier set of facts. But um, again, I, I don't think that the courts have recognized that kind of injury just based on um, held that that kind of uncertainty or angst by itself is, is an article injury. It's going to seem like a merits question, but I'll try to back into justiciability. Um, why isn't the government reviewing this cartoon or graphic, whatever it is? The statute requires review of written, printed, or graphic matter. This would seem to be a graphic. So, I'll say what I, I'll respond in the same way that I did to Judge Pillard earlier, which is that, you know, I don't want to get out ahead of my fees on this because just given where we are in the pleadings, I mean, we, again, we dispute that, dispute the central allegation that's here. I mean, we understand that the our, our own applicable regulations require us to review imagery and we dispute that we're not. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, the harder part of the case for you is, um, labels by other manufacturers, right? And um, one reason we might not 
want to get into that is if there's more nuance in the question when something that looks like a graphic may or may not be. And we're thinking your friend on the other side says, well, issue an order that the government review graphics. I mean, if that's a discreet, clean, well-presented legal question, the reasons we might be comfortable doing that, considering an order like that in this case, it's less troubling than if different pictures of other manufacturers that aren't before us just raise a lot of fact-intensive questions. I think there are a lot of fact-intensive questions here. I don't want to sort of be out here making representations. Can you give me a little bit of a sense of when it is or isn't a graphic? Give you a sense of what? Why we shouldn't go beyond the one picture that's before us? Sorry, are you asking whether the particular cartoon in this case is a graphic? Yeah, or why might this one not be a graphic? I mean, the allegation is you're not reviewing it. I understand. I mean, I want to be careful not to make any kind of representations about how exactly the agency is reviewing particular graphics. Is there anything you can say? Well, I think in some cases, just when there are graphics in a label, it's not necessarily making a representation. It can just be marketing puffery or something like that. It's not necessarily making a claim about what the product is or is not, anything about the product. But I don't want to say anything more specific beyond that. I appreciate it. I wanted to give you a chance, if you had anything to add, to respond to the tail end of my set of questions about how one gets standing, which was about the sort of basic economic logic that if this graphic communicates a free roam, non-textual, even better than the textual categories, it could be commanding, it would stand to reason that it commands a higher price than Purdue's other than fresh chicken breasts. Why is that not alone enough, even by a consumer who now knows that it's not free roam because others might be looking at this and willing to pay a premium, and therefore she is harmed by the artificially elevated market price? I mean, I don't know enough about the market prices of organic chicken or anything else, just in part because it's not a lesson to complain. And so I don't want to make any, and I think at the end of the day, she hasn't really alleged, I know this is not a satisfying response to your honest question, but the complaint doesn't really allege anything about paying a premium or not. And so I think if it seemed like it would be traditional injury under TransUnion or anything. If she paid a premium and paid a premium because the product presented itself as something better than it is. For example, if you took DC tap water and bottled it in a bottle that had pictures of a verdant rural spring and marketed it at a high price compared to like regular tap water in a bottle. Yeah, I mean, I see that. I see how that. I mean, 
it's possible that that could present an injury to seek damages, not necessarily injunctive relief, depending on, would depend on the allegations here. But again, the complaint is not alleging anything about the price of Purdue versus any other products. And so I don't think that would provide a basis for reversing the decision below. Thank you, Mr. White. Mr. Waltz, we'll give you two minutes for rebuttal. Thank you. I'd like to just first start with a response, I think, to the hypothetical you raised, Chief Judge Srinivasan, about if Ms. Tronco or if someone just does not know whether a label or an advertising is accurate or inaccurate, whether that's an injury. I think I heard the answer was no, that isn't an injury sufficient for standing. Sorry, TransUnion. TransUnion, I think, says that looking to Congress's sort of statutory scheme can be helpful, not dispositive, but helpful in identifying what's a legally cognizable interest. And the purpose of the PPIA is to protect the health and welfare of consumers from poultry products that are ensuring that they are not, that they are properly marked, labeled, and packaged. So, you know, we're in a statutory scheme that seeks to protect consumer interest in accuracy of labels. I think that helps inform whether the injury is sufficient, is a legally cognizable injury. And then I also just wanted to quickly echo what Judge Pillard was saying about this sort of odd standing doctrine we're in. You know, we've thought about should, we've alleged in the complaint that ALDF has 300,000 members and many other members purchase chicken products, even Purdue chicken products. One of the challenges is for, should we reach out or should we to a member and ask them to be a declarant? While they may have standing because they currently do not know that the Purdue chicken they're purchasing is misleading. The minute we ask them to be a declarant and we tell them that, all of a sudden they move their standing or they potentially lose their standing under this theory that if you know that the product is misleading, you'll never buy it again. And, you know, we believe that the Davidson theory of consumer confusion, which applies even more stronger here, helps get around that really odd work of the doctrine. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you to both counsel. We'll take this case under submission.